going to be in the book of Micah. So some of you have speed practiced finding Micah, so you wouldn't uh, have any shame on Sunday morning. The rest of you that haven't been practicing, I release you of all shame. This is a place of grace. If you need to go to the table of contents, go to the table of contents. That's just fine. If you're the old school, just flip through it like you know where it is. Skip, flip through it. But get to Micah. I want you to be looking at the text yourself. Some of you are like, Dave, I'm already there. I just have a digital version and swipe to it. Uh, that works as well. Listen, um, loads of grace as we all just get back to some like rhythms and routines It's really marvelous, is it not, to hear other people singing around you besides your own family? Yes. Um, It's going to be really, really good. As much as I've loved outdoors, it's going to be really, really good um, not to have people um, racing by uh, or, you know, whatever other sort of distractions there are outdoors. Uh, Man, we get to be in here together. Let me say that part of of your worship um, is getting to see the image of God in your fellow people and showing off the image of God to other people. Your presence here um, is a part of your sacrifice of worship, and it's a part of your benefit. Look around you right now, not just at the dads. Look around at every Christian here, every human being here, uh, and just celebrate that there are people nearby. This is a really, really good thing. Um, so, uh, next week, by the way, we're going to be having um, a baptism class. And I just swiped to make sure that this was true, but on the Church Center app, it looks like this. That little top banner is our Exploring Baptism class. That's how you register for it. So if you or someone you know is interested in in understanding what is baptism all about, we require a class before we baptize. And the reason is we don't want to just perpetuate religious activity. Some people think, I need to get baptized. I've had a really bad week. (laughs) Um, That's not what it's about. We want to look at the scriptures and see what does it mean to get baptized. And then the following Sunday, which if you're doing the math correctly, is July 4th. We're going to have baptisms right here on July 4th. Super pumped about that. Already several people who've been dying to, to get baptized, waiting for us to get back together. So we're having that coming up. Super excited about that. All right. Micah chapter one. That's where we are. We're covering a whopping one verse today. We will pick up the pace. I promise you that we will. But just due to the nature of Father's Day and communion service and what we need to do to sort of set up the book, we're going to cover uh, Micah 1.1. So pretty pretty easy to, to get that. So you, whether you know it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not, you were made to celebrate. That's the second slide. You were made to celebrate goodness, and justice. You are created. It's hardwired into you. Because you're stamped with your creator, who is both good and just, there's something in you that wells up and celebrates when you see something good. There's something in you that wells up and celebrates when, when you see something that is just. Conversely, when there is evil, when there's wickedness, when there's something bad going on, and when there is injustice happening, uh, that is true as well. Goodness and justice changes as we grow in truth. Think about what you thought was good and just as a kid in your family. And if you have children in your family, think about what is good and just now, right? It changes with the truth. As we grow in truth, our perception of goodness and justice changes. 
One of the reasons I look so tired all of the time is this. Some of you have children who are younger. You are recognizing, man, I can't wait until my kids go down so I could just have a few moments of adult time, peace and quiet before bedtime. Some of you look at those days with longing and remembrance because now you have teenagers and they keep you up until late at night. The time that teenagers want to connect is after about 9.30, 10 o'clock. That's when they sort of come alive and they want to talk and you're like, okay, well, in homes like ours, um, we will be up early because we have little children in our home and we will be up late because we have teenagers in our home, okay? So when I stammer, stutter, and fail up here as a preacher, when I have red eyes and I look tired, that's why. All right? A couple of months ago, it's well after 12 o'clock, midnight. What should I be doing? Sleeping. What am I doing? I am chatting with my two adult sons. I love it. We're in our bedroom. Me and Becky are there. Uh, Kern and Ethan are there. We're all talking, having a good time. The sliding windows open when all of a sudden we hear a car race through. Curran was mid-sentence, and we all have this. There's a four-way stop right near us, and it's going to take, we think, someone dying at that intersection before they change what's happening there because people blow through the stop sign all the time. This is of utmost concern to me because I'm three doors off of this stop sign, and I have small children and pets. So after midnight, we hear a car that, that... clearly blows through the stop sign. It sounded like they were doing 70, 80, 90 miles per hour. I mean, crazy fast. It was so loud and so obvious that he stopped mid-sentence. We all made eye contact. We knew what he just said, and he continued. When a second car also comes racing through. So we're thinking, man, people are just out racing or whatever. And all of a sudden, we heard this squeal of a tire, a and then a second We run out to the balcony, we look, and we see smoke coming up down the street, headed towards Cherry Park, that way, and Curran, myself, and Ethan all go running out, jammy pants and all, barefoot and all, we just go sprinting towards Cherry Park. Through the stop sign, and sort of further on down the road, we see mass wreckage. There is a Prius that literally looks like King Kong took his claw and ripped the side of it completely off, it's gone. The street is littered with plastic bumpers, glass, all kinds of stuff. And we see a car facing this way on the opposite side of the road with a person inside of it. We come running up. Kern and myself are first on the scene. There's one other man that had made his way out already. And a guy is in there bleeding from the head profusely in the passenger side. It looks like he's the driver that got thrown. Immediately, uh, we just start saying, hey, hang in there, buddy, and, and Curran starts talking to him. We're trying to keep him awake. We're like, hey, help's on the way. A guy said, I've just called 911. They're on their way. As we're there, and just sort of surveying all that had gone on, there is a man sort of agitatedly walking around. He's probably 20, 22, something like that. He's probably Iranian. He has a pretty thick accent. And he starts talking to me and Curran, and he says this. He says, um, he's kind of mumbling, and we can't quite get what's going on with him. And as we talk with this guy, what we realize is this. He said, that guy, pointing to the guy in the white little car, that guy just, just stole my phone. We just got in an accident up here, up Cherry, and when I tried to call the police, he said, no police. When I tried to take a picture of the accident, he grabbed my phone and took off. 
All of a sudden, the picture is clearer in our minds of what is happening. This guy in the white car is now a hit-and-run kind of a situation. And so we, I, started, I turned to start calming this guy down. And as we're talking, the guy with the bloody head is hearing what's going on. He is stirring to life, and he's trying to get out of the door. My son walks over to the door, and he comes over, and he puts his knee on the door. Boom! To hold the door closed. The message changed from hang in there, buddy, it's okay, help us on the way, we've got this, to stay put, pal, right there, you're not going anywhere. Why did the message change? Think about this. Both Curran and I were doing something that we thought was good to do in the moment, but we completely reversed our course of action. Why? Because truth shown its light on the situation. What we initially thought was true may not have been true, and so we thought we'd keep him there until the authorities showed up, which they did, and they arrested the guy in the white car, and we were able to calm this guy, who was, as you can imagine, pretty agitated. The second car was him chasing after his phone to find out what was going on. Goodness and justice grow with our understanding of the truth. If we do not have the truth, catch this, if we do not have the truth, truth, it is quite possible we are not pursuing goodness when we think we are. It is quite possible we are not enacting justice the way that we think. Did we have all the facts in the first few moments of that accident? Not at all. We came upon someone who was bloodied and hurt, formed an image that said, this guy needs some help. That was clearly true. But the way we helped him, the way we did good, the way we did justice in that moment changed when the light of truth came on. I've been so excited to preach in Micah for some time now. The Old Testament prophet of Micah is so fitting on so many levels to feed us the wisdom, the truth, the information, the encouragement that we are craving in this season of life. One of the most famous verses in all of Scripture is found in in, in Micah. Part of why it's so famous is it's really portable truth. Some of you have memorized the verse, Jesus wept. Good job. There's more. There's some other ones that are really, really helpful that are almost as short. Micah 6.8. Just hearing Micah 6.8, probably some of you go, yep, I got that one. I know that one. Why? Because songs have been written about it. It's embroidered in little things at your grandma's house. It is just a very portable truth to kind of bring with you. Here it is, Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good. How do we know goodness except if God tells us? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to what? Do justice. Love what? Mercy. And what's the third part? And walk humbly with our God. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with our God. I'm quite certain that you have been having difficult conversations within your own self, with coworkers, with friends, with family, with roommates. If you're a parent, You've been having difficult conversations and, different, and difficult challenges prioritizing how much to share with your children, how to engage with your children. Which of the latest headlines do you share with your, with your kids? Do you engage it or do you avoid it? Of course, as parents, 
The answer depends in part on the age of our children, right? One of the things that we are trying to do as good parents is we're trying to give them what they can handle in each season. Sometimes kids surprise us and they can handle a lot more than we think. So we err on the side of overprotection. Sometimes we give them too much and it causes nightmares and discussions and undue fears for for a long time. So we lean on God. God, how much of this do we shield and protect? How much do we we, uh, share with them? You don't share with your children, no matter what age they are, every single thing that you're privy to, all of the evil in the world, but we are processing that. Here's the second part of it, not just the age of our kids, but also how you've been processing it. Many, many people have seen headlines and rushed headlong in to help, only to realize, wow, I was quick to jump the gun. You may have found yourself helping the person with the bleeding head and helping a person who was hurting. And as truth has come to light, you thought, wow, I need to to retract from that. Many people I know just disengage. They don't want to talk about it, think about it. They want to kind of go even more insular. They've been practicing all year with shelter in place. They're like, I'm just good, me and mine. I'm going to create my own little safe space and not engage with it. The Old Testament prophet Micah is the prophet of the downtrodden and the exploited. He prophesies during a time of widespread, clear-cut social injustice. And do you know what Micah does? He faithfully, fearlessly, and truthfully calls it out in light of a sovereign God. Now, some of you are nervous or simply dreading going through an Old Testament book. Maybe some of you aren't averse to it, but you're not really convinced of it. Let me get you psyched about an Old Testament minor prophet, okay? That's my, that's my goal in the next couple of minutes. I want to get you absolutely psyched about going through the book of Micah. Here's a couple of thoughts. Number one, all scripture is inspired by God. All scripture is profitable. Here's my question. How can we not be curious of what God has for us in sort of these dusty corners of our Bible? How clean is Micah in your Bible? If you have a paper Bible right now, look at it. I mean, is it chock full of highlights? Is it dog-eared? Are there underlinings? Are there all kinds of notes in the corners? My guess is not. No shame in that. Some parts of the scripture are, are more readily accessible. Some parts of the scripture just need to be heard more, right? The love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. I hope that's dog-eared, tired, under question, you know, just filled with notes. It's okay that Micah isn't there, but aren't you curious? If all scripture is inspired by God, if all scripture uh, is profitable for us, if God has seen fit for all of the Old Testament to be preserved for you today, aren't you curious what's in there? God, what do you have for us? That's number one. Here's number two. As a preacher, I want to speak on what God speaks on. I also want to speak in the way that God speaks. Here's what I mean by that. God did not give us a 2,000-page random collection of daily verses. God gave us books of the Bible. How many? 66, to be exact. In a book of the Bible, there's a logical flow and sequence. God speaks not only through the individual words, not only through the ideas, but actually through the flow of it. Remember going through Romans? 
How easy is it to read, uh, to kind of gloss over Romans 1, 2, and 3, which is all about sin and negativity and judgment, and who wants that? How easy is it to skip over Romans 9, 10, and 11, verses that are really confounding to a lot of really smart Christians? But we worked our way through all of Romans, and God worked in that. So I want to preach in a way, we as a church want to preach in a way, not just daily verses. When you get a daily verse, praise God for the daily verse, amen? You're like, man, I didn't do my Bible reading. I need a daily verse. Boop, it's right there on your phone. It's on your little tear-off calendar. It comes on the radio, whatever. Daily verse. I'm not against the daily verse. But isn't it possible to form some crazy theology from just the daily verse? God promised me all things are coming to me that are good. All I need to do is call it out. Well, you're now a name it and claim it preacher. Congratulations. Like daily verses just in and of themselves can teach some really wacky things. All right, here's the, here's the, 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 the next thing. Jesus is Lord of all. Amen? Let's try that again, church. Jesus is Lord of all. Amen? Amen? That's right. We sing about it. We believe it. We say we walk in that. Jesus Christ is Lord of the Old Testament. Man, that's really good news. If Jesus is Lord of the Old Testament, it ought not be disregarded by us. It ought not be sitting there unexamined by us. Here's my last one, and this is perhaps the most felt need available in this room right now. Without the lens of Jesus and the gospel, okay, without the lens of Jesus and the gospel, we misread and misunderstand the message of Micah. Now, none of you walked in here saying that's a felt need. I think I might misread or misunderstand Micah. Oh, if my preacher would just tickle my ears with that. None of you felt that. But when you get at what the message of Micah is, all of a sudden it'll make sense. What's the message of Micah? Here it is. What is good? What is doing justice? What's good? And how do you do justice in a way that honors God? Man, these are felt needs right now. So you walked in here with a felt need about that, a way to think about that biblically. You've already been wrestling with this for a long time. Without the lens of Jesus and the gospel, we misread and misunderstand what it is to do good, what is good, and what it means to do justice. Let me talk to you just for a second about how the Old Testament and New Testament are fitted together in such a way um, that, that it will both, it will just, it will build your faith and encourage you that God is the author of the entire Bible, um, but also just, again, keep you pumped up about, about reading the Old Testament. So every part of the Old Testament, which code for that is this, ready? The law, the prophets, and the writings. Whenever you see the law, the prophets, and the writings, or maybe a more Jewish way of saying this would be Moses, representing the law, the prophets, and the wisdom. The wisdom are the wisdom literature, so like Psalms and Proverbs. Whenever you see that, that is code for the Old Testament. So here's what I'm putting out to you, that every part of the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, and the writings, point to Jesus. Now, some of these are super obvious. I know this is kind of small font, but just bear with me. Number one are promises that point to Jesus. When we read about a coming king, do you know what's in the book of Micah? That the, that the eternal king is going to be born in the city of Bethlehem. That's in Micah. 
Like we talk about that every Christmas, right? It's right there. When it talks about an eternal king, which Micah very much points to, we know that points to Jesus. That's pretty easy. How about prophecies? There are prophecies that speak about Jesus. Take the suffering servant in Isaiah, right? We read that passage. We know those passages really, really well. How about patterns that foreshadow the work of Jesus Christ? Passover lamb, anyone? Right? Like understanding blood on the doorposts. There are patterns we see in the Old Testament that are, that are, that are, that are, that are pointers to Christ. We see that Christ is the Passover lamb. And that is rich with meaning because we understand the Old Testament. So here are the really obvious things. When there are prof- promises, prophecies, or patterns, we're like, yep, those point to, to Jesus. Got it. But wait, there's so much more. It's not just a smattering of things like promises, uh, uh, prophecies, and patterns. Jesus makes it clear that it's all about him. And not just the obvious parts. With your finger in Micah, I promise I'm going to get to our long text of Micah 1.1 in just a second. Don't lose your place because you might take five minutes to find it again. With your finger in Micah, flip over to Luke chapter 24 for a second. I can't seem to get away from preaching in Luke. We're only going to be here for a second today. But it's so applicable to this morning. Remember in Luke 24, a couple of disciples are walking home from that first Easter Sunday morning. They are discussing the resurrection, and a stranger shows up and sidles up next to them and says, hey, what are you talking about? Essentially, their answer is, are you kidding me? Are you an out-of-towner? You must be the only person who doesn't understand all the things that are going on amongst us right now. And one of the best lines Jesus ever gave is this, what things? (laughs) Like, He's the resurrected Jesus. He has concealed his identity in his own post-resurrection body wisdom so that his, his two disciples don't recognize him. And what he does with that brilliant thing, what things? It's just open-ended question. Every parent, every youth pastor, every person mentoring anyone ought to learn the power of a great question. What things? What are you talking about? And out barfs this like, avalanche of oh they just start shooting off about what must be going on and we got reports here and we're thinking this and he said this and we think this might be happening and you could just you could just imagine what that walk was like and then he says this after they explode with all of their thoughts jesus lays out the foundation for how to understand the old testament and furthermore he actually rebukes those who don't do it this way. Listen to to Luke 24, verse 25. It says this. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, catch this, all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, including Micah, He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. It's a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, as far as they can tell. Wouldn't you have loved to have been a part of that small group? Jesus is your community group leader. You get to walk along, and he just starts showing you stuff out of the Old Testament. And it's all about me. But Jesus lays out not only how we should be doing this, but he rebukes those who miss this. Foolish ones, slow to believe. Let me take you to one more passage. It's on the same page probably, Luke 24, verse 44. He doesn't say this just once. He says it a second time in Luke Luke 24, 44. It says, then he said to them, 
These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Look at verse 46 again for a second. Look at the word written. Think about this in your mind. What is written up to this point? The first two-thirds of your Bible. The scriptures in Jesus' day is not Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and on it goes. That's all post. What's written is the Old Testament. Here's what's so mind-boggling to this. Jesus says that the basic outline of the gospel ministry, that Jesus would suffer die unjustly, rise on the third day, and that forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed to all nations? Isn't that the gospel? He is saying this, friends, in the Old Testament, the basic contours of all of that are written down already. It's already there. So what I want to do is this. As we march into Micah, that rings good. As we march into Micah, that was just unplanned. As we go into Micah, I want you looking for Jesus. I want you seeing the gospel. It is there. In some really big, obvious ways, the eternal king is to be born in Bethlehem. Got it. We know that points to Jesus. We can look back on that. But in so much more, our work isn't done until we see the gospel and Jesus in the Old Testament. Church, Jesus, our Lord, Lord of the Old Testament, has truth waiting for us to be mined, and then put to use through our understanding and our obedience. I love this quote from a book called Gospel-Centered Hermeneutics. How's that for a fun book title? All the Bible nerds are like, that sounds amazing. Here it is. If the biblical story is true, Christ is the only Savior for humankind, and there is room for no other way to God. If the story is true, Jesus Christ, catch this, is the interpretive key to every fact in the universe. And of course, the Bible is one such fact. The fiercest opponents of Jesus were the religious leaders. And they knew their Bibles better than any single person in this room. I can say that with confidence. They were certifiable experts in what makes up our Old Testament. The law, the prophets, and the writings. And yet, listen to John chapter 5, Jesus talking. You search the scriptures because because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. We all know that it's quite possible, and we've seen examples of this, to know the Bible and not know Jesus. To get the Bible and completely pass on Jesus. In every way, Jesus is key to benefiting from the Bible. Now, 
I promise you this will require effort. I promise you that you can do it. And I promise you that it will be worth it. Anyone in here love Shakespeare? Raise your hand if you love Shakespeare. Okay. Just for those viewing at home, that was one hand. And Chris is a poet. Chris sends me his poetry. He's quite the artist with words. How many of you would say, I don't love Shakespeare, but I know enough about it and I've been shown enough about it that I can appreciate Shakespeare? Anyone in that camp? Raise your hand if that's you. All right, the vast majority of you. Some of you are like, I'm not raising my hand with anything to do with Shakespeare. Leave me alone. (laughs) Get off of it. I hated it. Yeah. (laughs) And the congregation said, amen. So why is it that a very tiny fraction of us love Shakespeare, but a vast majority of us are like, no, I can really appreciate it. I can see the art in it. It's because someone has come along and been your guide to show you what's, what's actually being said. And when you see it being said that way, you go, oh, wow, that's pretty artistic. I see that. That's way more than I thought. It began to just jumble in my mind as I read it like, oh, my goodness, this is hard to get. Hear me really clearly. Genres in the Bible are exactly like that. There are genres of the Bible that people leave alone completely because it just takes too, too much work to understand. You have to plod through it and go, what is that even talking about? And if you don't understand culturally what was being written and talked about, it, it is lost on you. But with a tiny bit of guidance, someone can come along and show, let me show you why, what, what this means, what every first reader would have heard immediately. Oh, Okay. And all of a sudden, you have an appreciation for the author, right? You have an appreciation for how it's fit together. You go, wow, that's actually pretty profound. Took a lot of work to get there. Why didn't he just say it this way? Well, because he's Shakespeare, right? Because he's God. So I and others will stand up here, and we will be part guide. But really, here's, here's, here's the main guide. I commend you to the Holy Spirit. I commend you to the Holy Spirit to read Micah. As we discuss things, as we talk here, I hope I have challenged some of your Old Testament biases today. I hope that you go, okay, I'm going to give Micah a chance. I walked in here going, Micah, really? Like, that's what we're going to preach for next, you know, this summer months? Yeah, that's where we're going to be. I hope I've challenged some of that. So I will be your guide. Others will be your guide. But really, it's the Holy Spirit that I commend you to. We will be able to get it because God wants us to get it, but it will take some work. All right, one more quote for you. This is from David King. It says, God communicates with us not through vague impressions, but through words and sentences and paragraphs. He speaks intelligently and precisely, marshalling a beautiful array of genres to do so. With the help of his spirit, we can understand what is written. I would say it even stronger. Without the help of his spirit, we don't have a chance of understanding what he's saying. We are talking about things that are spiritually discerned. The flesh is no help in understanding things that are spiritually discerned. All right, that's all just the preface and getting into Micah. Let me show you our title slide for the series. Just Jesus. As you look at this title slide, it is filled with some very precise images that I picked very carefully for this. Let me make a couple of opening comments about it. Number one is this. It's a bit provocative to look at this. It may be hard for some of you to look at. We're a year removed from a lot of things unfolding on our streets, in our locale, that were hard to watch. Secondly, it's very busy, isn't it? 
I actually asked two close, trusted people, hey, here's my series title, what do you think? Both of them said, well, it's kind of busy. It's kind of hard to see the just Jesus. Maybe you could make that pop. I said, mission accomplished. It is kind of busy. It's kind of disturbing. You want a single picture of a palm tree and a beach. That's all you want. When you look at this, you're like, I don't know. I don't want to look at that for too long. That's the message of Micah. Micah's not immediately pleasant to look at. In fact, I don't know if it'll be pleasant all summer, to be honest. Happy summer. (laughs) I don't know. It's hard to look at. It deals with raw issues. It's provocative. Micah was hard to hear in his day. It will be hard to hear in our day. Just Jesus can get lost in all of this chaos and clutter. However, with a tiny bit of intentionality, you see it clear as day, don't you? Just Jesus. With a tiny bit of focus, I mean, we can keep our eyes on the message of just Jesus um, through, through all the busy, crazy chaos of, of what's going on. Jesus is both just and the justifier. Justice without Jesus is something else. Hear me. Justice without Jesus is something other than true justice. You want to discover what is good and what God requires of you to live in that good? You must have Jesus always at the center. Our nation has become an experts on what is good and outspoken prophets of what is just. We're going to filter that, as always, with Christians through the Spirit of Christ. Micah courageously calls out God's message of judgment against sin across three different administrations. Think about this for a second. He was a prophet for 30 years. We're going to get this in our opening verse. He was a prophet through three different administrations, three different kings. Some were better than others. Our last three presidents have been particularly polarizing. Hear me, Christian. Christians preach fearlessly, truthfully, humbly, faithfully across administrations. Amen? Our message does not gain power when one comes into power. It doesn't lose power when someone else comes into power. Micah teaches us that. Stay the course. The book of Micah unmistakably points to King Jesus as both the remedy to current injustice and the power to do justice. Remember that. We're not going to get to that for a little bit, but we're going to keep coming back to this. Micah's message of hope is about an eternal king. That king is Jesus. That's our only hope of understanding justice. And what's more, it's our only hope in doing justice. Do you see what happens if you do verse-a-day theology? Verse-a-day theology says this. Well, I already know. What does the Lord require of me? That I do justice. That I love mercy and then I walk on the road. That I do justice. And we go off and we do justice. And pretty soon the second, even two parts of that go away. Think about this for a second. How many of you, let's start with ourselves, the sin of our own heart. How many of you have actively done justice without walking humbly with your God? Don't raise your hand. It's between you and the Lord. What are you doing? I'm doing justice. How many of you have done justice without walking humbly with your Lord? When you take a single passage out of the scriptures, I think so many people have have alluded to this verse in the last year. I'm not the judge over all of that, but I just say that there's a broader, bigger message to all of that. 
Jesus is not only the definition of justice and goodness, but he's, he's the one who empowers us to do that. Think about this, some 700 years after Micah walked around Jerusalem and Samaria pronouncing judgment on these cities, on these regions, Jesus came on the scene and would do the same thing. We just walked through the book of Luke. Remember Jesus in Jerusalem? Man, the week before his death, he's holding, he's holding Bible studies in the temple courts, much to the chagrin of all the power brokers. Jesus in Samaria. Jesus would bring all that is just and good to both Samaria and Jerusalem. What's the color of the wording? The color of justice is blood red. The color of justice is blood red. So that's why when we see this, we're going to look at that and remember, boy, justice doesn't happen. There is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. That's what the Bible teaches, and I rarely hear about that outside of a church. I never hear about that outside the church, actually. Micah and his generation didn't have the full picture, but it's all there in the law and the prophets and the writings, as Jesus just told us in the Gospel of Luke. All right, Micah 1.1, are you there? You're like, finally, preacher, come on. Here we go. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. There's the three administrations, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So here's what I want to do. I want to talk about Micah for a little bit. I'm going to spend a little bit of time on Moresheth and then just a little bit on his message. All right? Who was Micah? Micah was unheard of, uneducated, and unpopular. Anyone been there? (laughs) Man, unheard of, uneducated, and unpopular. God called him to be who he was and proclaim who God was. When you proclaim God's truth, I read an article this week. I forgot to get the citing. I like to cite people. When you proclaim God's truth, you have all the credentials you need. You get clear on God's truth, you get to proclaim it. That's all the credentials you need. Here's what's kind of cool. Micah, the name, is a shortened version of Makaiu. It just sounds Hawaiian. That's probably not how it's pronounced. But it means this. It sounded better in my office. I was practicing. Who is like Yahweh? Who is like Yahweh? We're going to learn together, right? Who is like Yahweh? That's what the name Micah means. When you, when you see Micah, remember that. Here's what's kind of a fun little juicy nugget, is that Micah embeds that truth in his writings. Flip over for a second to, to Micah chapter 7. Micah chapter 7, verse 18. As in our day, there are competing gods, aren't there? Micah 7.18 says this, who is like, who, who is a God like you? There it is. Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread out, he will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. 
So Micah was from Morasheth. Where's Morasheth? Well, it's roughly 22 miles southwest of Jerusalem. Why is Jerusalem important? It's the absolute hub of political power, religious power, thought power, politics, all of that. So imagine here, if you're here, what you would do is go southwest, and you know what you would hit in 22 miles? Scotts Valley. For you longtime San Jose residents, right around where Santa's Village used to be. Okay? You're just cruising down the hill on 17 right into Scotts Valley. That's about 22 miles away from where we're sitting right at this moment. Now, do you know what Scotts Valley is? It's like Morasheth. Scotts Valley is not the hub of political power, religious power, or theocratic. Like, like that's not the hub. In fact, if you were from Scotts Valley and you were traveling and people were like, where are you from? I'm from Scotts Valley. They're like, oh, the Silicon Valley, I've heard of that. No, 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 Scotts Valley, never heard of it. That's Morasheth right? That's Morasheth, except you can't just commute to the Silicon Valley like you can from Scotts Valley, so even more so. It's kind of way out there. It's on the border. It's sort of a a hick town, if you will. Consider this, that possibly being a lowly country boy from the country actually may have helped his ministry. He did not get raised and breathe the air of the glitz, glamour, and power struggle of Jerusalem. And this may have lent perspective for him to be able to preach boldly on things. For instance, those not in Washington trying to get reelected. If you just grew up in a political family and you're running for politician and you've lived your whole life in D.C., wouldn't it be easy to just sort of not even see the air that you're breathing? In short, Micah was a nobody from nowhere. And yet God used him greatly. Man, this is such an encouragement. This should be such an encouragement to you. What qualifies Micah? God chose him. That's it. What qualifies you? Well, God chose me. That's what. The word of the Lord came to Micah. Don't miss this. In fact, grab hold of this idea. The word of the Lord that came to Micah. This was his confidence. That he heard from the Lord on something. He didn't have to invent the word. He didn't seek it out or study it from universities. Um, It came to him from God. What did Micah do with it? He faithfully proclaimed it. Man, it's so powerful. One of the great things about being a biblical preacher is this. I have an unlimited resource to preach from. I don't have to come up with the wisdom that you need. I don't have a clue what you need. I barely know what I need most of the time. But if I preach faithfully from God's word, something's going to land. When I sit there and someone else is preaching, you will find me. You hold me to this. I will be taking diligent notes. I don't care if it's a first-time preacher. I have something to learn from from someone preaching directly from the Scriptures. The reason I keep saying, open your Bible, look at it yourself, I want you to see, not just Dave did the hard work of, man, Micah's a beast. Good thing we have a pastor that works hard. I want you to see it. I want you to mind this for yourself. Half of my preaching is showing you how I'm getting it so you can do it the rest of the week yourself. What Micah did was preach it faithfully. Just like our day, friends, this required tremendous amounts of courage, courage that Micah did not possess on his own. One more flip over, Micah 3.8. Micah 3.8 ought to be just as powerful as Micah 6.8. Such a great verse. It says, but as for me, 
Micah 3.8. But as for me, Micah talking, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Whoo! You know what he's doing? He is calling out the entire country, the northern region, the southern region. That would be like saying all the west coast, all the middle parts of the U.S., and all of you east coast. I'm filled with might and power and justice because of the spirit of the Lord in me to call out your transgression and your sin. Man, so much was on the line. So much is on the line for us today. Christians, what about us? Aren't we called to the very same thing? Every Christian is given good news. If you understand the good news and respond to it, that means you're a Christian. Every Christian has received the good news for themselves. They didn't make it up. And what is the Christian's role? To be witnesses. Well, evangelism is not my spiritual gift. Good for you. You're still a witness. You are a witness on this Father's Day, just like every other day of the year, to the goodness of your God. You actually reflect what your father is like. If we were at the park and my kids, I said, hey guys, come on over to daddy. And they all like cowered and ran. What does that say? Whoa, that's a freaky dad. I'm keeping my kids away from that dad. Conversely, if I say, kids, get over here. I'm not holding popsicles and they come and just give me a hug. Like just because I said so. They might be like, hmm, kind of a good dad. Like, you can't make that stuff up. You are a witness to who your father is. Do you live a life of utter scarcity? That's a reflection on your father. Your father is, is a penny pincher. He gives you just enough. Are you the most joyless person you know? Man, you serve a God who is demanding and joyless, I guess. Oh, it's such a powerful thing to me to go, man, I'm a witness whether I think I am or not. I'm always on with that. You know, there are places in Scripture, and Micah had, has these, where it's, where it's, thus saith the Lord. God says. And where God has spoken clearly and loudly and repeatedly, hear me, Christian, where God has spoken clearly, loudly, and repeatedly, you speak clearly, loudly, and repeatedly. Doesn't mean you flap your lips all the time. But it does mean we live clearly, loudly, and repeatedly. If we're teaching our kids, we speak clearly, loudly, and repeatedly. There are things in Scripture that are just over and over. They are loud and crystal clear. Sometimes things are murky. We have guidance for that as well. What about questions for life's gray areas? All kinds of help for that. But on issues, actions, and attitudes, God remains very, very clear, even when people and society are murky and confused. Increasingly, it has required and demanded of Christians an increasing amount of fearless courage to simply hold to historical Christianity, Orthodox Christianity. But for a couple thousand years, these things have not been questioned or challenged. What is the book of Micah about? Man, some of, the, some of Micah's themes seem to be taken straight out of our headlines. There's a, wide, uh, there's, a, there's a wise word for us as we wrestle through complex issues, and we hear voices on all kinds of, of, of sides. Let me point out a couple. 
Justice is a massive message for Micah. That's why it's in our series title. He denounces those who oppress the poor in chapter 2. He denounces those who abuse their positions. That's chapter 3. He denounces those who rob from the needy. That's chapter 6. In chapter 1, we see women and children are cherished and the exploitation of the innocent is denounced. We have loud voices today that are demanding justice that also need mercy. Many people are blind to their own sin. They jump on the latest dog pile, whether it's real or Twitter, and their self-righteousness is just spilling all over the place. And try as you might, you can't find an ounce of humility embedded in all of that. Church, walk as children of the light. Shine as stars in the midst of a crooked generation. Don't live like that. Don't be like that. Micah shows us a more complete picture. About a third of the book is the exposure of sins. Abuse of power inequality of image bearers, and bullying of the weak. How pertinent does that sound? You want some clarity on those sins? We're going to get it in Micah. Another third of the book pictures the punishment of God that is sure to come. As in payment is due, and it's not going to be pretty. And about a third of the book is restoration after the discipline is over. Throughout the book, here's what you're going to see. This little cycle. And hope is offered throughout the book, but it comes at the cost of your pride. If this sounds an awful lot like the gospel, it's because it is. What's the, what's the first part of the gospel, which literally means good news? It's bad news. If you don't see yourself as a wicked sinner in dire need of help and say, who will rescue me from this person that I am? You don't get the gospel. You miss it completely. You're still leaning on self-righteousness. Friends, Jesus and the gospel is in Micah. Can you tell them a little bit, Jazz, about this? It's just so exciting to discover it for myself. I'm, I'm hopeful you will as well. Here's what I want you to write down. A person who finds the gospel understands justice. A person who, understand, who finds the gospel understands justice. And saying it a different way, you don't understand justice without the gospel. You don't understand justice without the gospel. Get right to doing justice, you'll miss it every time. You'll think you're doing justice. You'll think you're doing good. But you are aiding and abetting a bloody-headed criminal. Shine the light of truth on it. All right, I'm going to wrap up talking directly to dads. Dads, there's massive hope to this prophet Most every dad that you know is a regular guy from a regular place. We are not powerful or influential in the whole world. But don't miss this. Every dad you know is massively powerful and influential to their kids' whole world. Very few of you know famous dads who the whole world knows and thinks of. But every single dad you know is massively influential to their own kid's world. In fact, for better or worse, this is true. As a dad, I hold influence on on my kids that neither they nor I asked for. 
I'm reading through this surfing book, and I just got a tiny snippet. This girl goes to Indonesia to escape her father, and she's writing, very non-Christian perspective, she's writing that on this surf trip in Indonesia, she cannot escape her father. Her father wants her to be a type A, straight A student. She has the capacity to do that, but wants to live her own life. This was already in my notes. I just read that yesterday going, there it is. It's there whether we want it or not. Like Micah, dads, what qualifies you for the job is simply that, dad, that, that God called you to be a dad, period. The fact that you are a dad qualifies you to raise your kids. The beauty of a Christian, the beauty of God is new mercies every day. A part of your equipping, a part of what you have in front of you is your church family. You're here this morning. This is a part of it. Other dads walking with you on this path. Last Father's Day. Because we care about families, love families, want to equip families, and want to support dads, we gave this gift away last Father's Day. Several of us made many trips. I cruised around with my son on my motorcycle. We just dropped these off at your door. If you got this last year and completely forgot about it, you're welcome. Go find the book. You've realized that getting a book is not the same as reading a book. Pull it out of your drawer, dust it off. Timothy Keller, it's a daily devotional for 365 days, a little bit, a little bit out of the Proverbs. Man, go and get it and pull it out. If you did not receive this last year, you people in TV land, you people in person, you fill out a connect card right in front of you, do it digitally, and we will pay for and mail for this to show up at your house because we love you and care about you. I went through this a few years ago and thought, man, I want all of my friends to have this book. So that's yours. That's your gift, dads. Secondly, some of you are like, bummer, I already have the book and I've been using it. I already read it. I got gypped. Talk about injustice, inequality. I demand, okay, stop, stop all that. Stop the voice in your head. We've got something for you too. Uh, coming right now into your hand is an ice cold dad's root beer. Cliche, yes, but refreshing, absolutely. So dads, raise your hand. Tony, get your hand up. We have a dad, we have a dad right here who hasn't met his child yet because she's due in a bit. Um, so dads, get your root beer. Band, come on up, and we're going to close out our service with some communion. All right, while you're getting root beer, while the band's coming up, I'm going to pray. Keep your eyes open so you can grab the root beer. God, thank you for fun. Thank you for Micah. Thank you, God, for using regular, uh, everyday people in powerful ways. God, I pray that as we celebrate around the Lord's table right now, God, that you would speak in and through that as well. In Jesus' name, amen.